1: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 1.
0: Hello, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. An open line Friday on the show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Delighted to have you with me. Uh, Just so you know, those of you listening, uh, all my stations in the southeast, I've got the radar open for you watching it as the storms roll in. Uh, Those of you in Alabama, bunker down because you've got bad storms through you. The metro Atlanta area has rain pouring in. It's headed all to my affiliate in Greenville, South Carolina, and then to Southern Pines and up the eastern seaboard to you guys in Connecticut. It's just going to be bad as this cold front sweeps across the nation. My buddy Leland Vittert from News Nation said uh, they were diverted. They're flying to Iowa for the Caucasus and their plane was for a time. It was so cold uh, they weren't letting planes take off. They finally made it to Omaha, and they're driving from Omaha into southern Iowa. Uh, You know, the the Iowa caucus, they're expecting record low temperatures. Every single one of the candidates say, well, that's going to help my side. Uh, We'll get into that later. There's actually big news out of the gate today that we we need to get to. Uh, We have engaged, finally, the Houthi rebels. What's notable here is what Biden is not doing uh, but also what's notable, frankly, is the coalition that is, uh was established to be able to go after him. And there is some credit owed, I think, in that regard, uh, but only a little bit. For starters, the Houthi are a terrorist organization funded by Iran, and on the very first day, that Joe Biden entered the White House, it was a day one initiative of Joe Biden. He took the Houthi off the list of terror organizations. We're now at war with the Houthi, who are a terror organization, and Joe Biden has not put them back on the terror watch list. Uh, if you, if the United States puts the Houthi on a terror watch list, Uh, Globally, it allows countries to seize their assets, freeze bank accounts, uh, monitor and regulate uh, the flow of uh, goods into Yemen. The Biden administration got rid of that. and They haven't put them back on. It has allowed the Houthi to rearm more easily. It's not that they wouldn't rearm. It's that he's allowed them to rearm more easily now. He hasn't put them back on. And weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, of of press release after press release after press release, the Houthi have entrenched their positions, doubled down, and only finally have we engaged the Houthi rebels. Now, I, let me explain the geography of this for you. It's, it's worth you understanding uh, the lay of the land here. We're talking, obviously, about the Red Sea, the southern end of the Red Sea. The southern end of the Red Sea uh, goes through the Straits of uh, Bab al-Mandeb. And on one side, you have uh, Eritrea and Djibouti. And then you have um, Somalia. On the other side, you have Yemen. And the narrowest point is uh, Bab al-Mandeb. Flowing from the Red Sea into the Gulf of Aden. Now, this is important because there is an island, Param Island, and then there is a peninsula that juts out from Yemen, and the Houthi control that territory and have drones and rockets that they can fire at the ships. And it's not a great distance. It is not a great distance. There are also pirates in the area, and the pirates have largely disappeared as the Houthi have armed up. So the American military, the Australian military, the British military, uh, and now you've got Iranians there and Saudis there, Yemeni forces there and others, they're all crowded into this tiny area of water and there are cargo ships and most of the cargo ships now have diverted. They're now sailing through across the Indian Ocean around Cape Horn in Africa and up the west side of Africa. it is a adds 15 to 20 days of travel for the ships traveling nonstop 24-7. They don't stop at night. They keep driving or they they keep sailing. So 24-7 adds 15 to 20 days extra to get around Africa as opposed to just going through the Red Sea, which they can't do. This became a major issue, and the United States' initial gut response was send press releases saying, cut it out, you stop, You you bad boys, you stop. And the Houthi read that as weakness and escalated their attacks. While the Houthi were escalating their attacks, it gave Iran time to send ships military naval vessels from Iran to, quote-unquote, observe what was going on, potentially rearm and supply the Houthi more regularly and easier. Well, we have finally, in a coordinated attack, gone after them, the U.S. and British militaries with assists from Bahrain and Australia, Qatar and the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, All pile in. You need to understand the Houthi rebels in Yemen have been launching not just an effort to take over Yemen and establish a stronghold favorable to Iran, but also to go after Saudi Arabia. They've bombed territories within Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates with missiles. They've attacked oil refineries and others. And why? So in the geopolitical sphere, there used to be two countries there. There was North Yemen and South Yemen. When I was a kid, North Yemen and South Yemen, North Yemen was communist. South Yemen was favorable to the West. And they were always clashing with each other. After the fall of the Soviet Union, the Soviets were no longer there to prop up North Yemen. The countries united. Well, Iran wants more anchors in the Middle East. You have Iran. They've propped up Hezbollah in Lebanon. They have worked with Hamas, though they're at religious differences. They've come to terms with Hamas. Now they have worked with the uh, the Syrians, and they're also now working with the Houthi because they want to surround Saudi Arabia. Why? Because Iran is still Islamic, even though they're Shiite instead of Sunni, they're Islamic, and they also value... Mecca. If Saudi Arabia was more favorable to Iran, there would be greater access to Mecca, and Saudi Arabia is hostile to Iran. So you surround them, you destabilize them, and maybe, just maybe, if you're lucky, you overthrow the Saudis. You destabilize the region and you build a larger Persian empire again. And then you go after Israel and bring about the apocalypse. So Iran has been funding the Houthi. To launch a coup in Yemen and destabilize Yemen, and then to provide a um, a bulkhead for the Iranians to get in and begin to agitate against the Saudis. We've been pushing back. The Trump administration pushed back aggressively. The Trump administration uh, really aggressively went after the Houthis, put them on the terror list. Uh, we're beginning to aid the Saudis in their efforts to fight them. This is is something that that Biden walked back from very quickly when he got in. We were helping the Saudis. Go after the Houthis, and then Biden came in. It's like, oh, you Saudis, you're being so mean. You're being nasty to them. You're you're the bad guys here, Saudi. You, you, Mohammed bin Saud. Oh my gosh, you you're so bad. Look at what you did to Jamal Khashoggi. We're not gonna help you. You must be the bad guys. The Houthi must be well. The Houthi they're they're just they're just misunderstood rebels. No, they're bad. So we struck 60 targets at 16 sites in Yemen, including command and control nodes, munitions depots, launching systems, production facilities, and air defense radar systems. We told them it was coming. We sent them a couple hashtags in a press release. They had plenty of time to bunker down. This is the most bizarre part of this. The Biden administration is like, yes, we slayed, queen. We slayed. You sent out a press release and said, hey, we're going to attack you in 12 hours. They literally sent a press release announcing pending airstrikes. Who does that? There's no surprise attack. It's, it's hey, guys, run for cover. We're coming for you. Let's play hide and seek. I mean, the Biden administration, they decided they wanted to tickle them. They wanted to look tough. While giving them a heads up, okay, we're going to strike here so you guys don't have anything there. Just we want to look tough for the world. That's literally what the Biden administration did. They sent out a press release and said, we're going to attack in the next few hours. Good Lord. Textbook example of how you don't proceed. But that's how they proceeded. Now, what is notable is the coalition. It was Australia, Great Britain, the United States, and Bahrain. Bahrain is a huge military uh, ally of the United States in the Middle East. The Fifth Fleet of the United States is housed in Bahrain. We have military bases there and in uh, the United Arab Emirates. We have uh, we have outposts in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. Qatar is the problem. Qatar is purportedly our ally. But Qatar has been trying, much like the Biden administration, to realign its posturing in the Middle East, and they've been very friendly to Iran. Uh, but there's a problem now. The Taliban in Afghanistan and the Iranians are no longer getting along. Remember, there was that terror attack in eastern uh, Iran last week, and it was by ISIS. Uh, The Taliban have allowed ISIS to set up shop in Afghanistan. They've left them alone. They don't particularly care for each other, but they leave each other alone. And now ISIS has a base of operations in, uh, in Afghanistan to attack Iran. Well, guess who has great relationships with the Taliban? Qatar. Qatar trying to improve its relationships with Iran looks like deals off there. Because Qatar helped us in this strike, and that seems to be a signal that Qatar's days of making kissy face with Iran are over. Qatar's not our friend, by the way. Qatar, we should deal with them more forcefully, and we don't. Qatar's trying to play all sides. You should not trust the Qataris. But that Qatar, the UAE, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia... Uh, all got together on this. Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, the United Arab members, they don't like Qatar anymore because, again, Qatar has been making kissy face with both the Taliban, which they all hate, and Iran, which they all hate. And Qatar came in on this coalition on the backside of it. Now, they're downplaying their involvement, but they absolutely were involved. Which means they see the Houthi threat as a big deal too. Keep in mind, the Houthi have targeted the UAE and they've targeted Saudi Arabia. So they came in together with the Brits, who used to be the colonial governing power of that area. They all have ties to, so, you know, this is one of the wild things. I don't mean to get off on these tangents for you, but just so you understand the history here. Uh, after the fall of the Ottoman Empire, the Middle East was basically given to Great Britain uh, by the global powers. So it was Great Britain that oversaw the, the uh, Ottoman territory called Palestine, Uh, The United Emirates was a territory of Great Britain. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia, of course, set set up shop with the Saudis. They had great ties to Britain. They maintained their level of independence, but they had to deal with the Brits also in Egypt. And all of these countries tend to not only get along, they get along with the Brits, as opposed to look at the the French, the Belgian, and the German post-colonial powers. All the colonists hate them because the Brits, the Germans, the Belgians were so terrible. The Brits were at least civilized. The Brits introduced democracy. And so all of these former colonies of Great Britain actually have great ties back to Great Britain and through Great Britain to us now. And they've all gotten back together to take on the Houthi now. That's actually a very good thing. But it comes in spite of Joe Biden, not because of Joe Biden, because none of these countries wanted him to take the Houthi off the terror list. He doesn't get credit for this because he kind of fell into it by, by force because of what the Houthi were doing. All of these countries convinced Donald Trump to put the Houthi on the terror list, and Joe Biden got rid of it much to their protests. He's ruined our relationship with Saudi Arabia, and the only thing that's put us all back together right now are the Houthi terrorists and the Iranian threat. At least it's something. But we got to find better ways to rebuild these bridges in the Middle East. In the meantime, at least we finally decided to get tough on the Houthis. Even if we sent them a press release and told them it was coming, so they had time to hunker down. And you know what? That's probably going to do make the situation worse. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here. Open line Friday. The phone number is eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Should you wish to be on the program, I got to play this audio. You gotta listen carefully to this audio. This is uh, Ed O'Keefe on CBS News. In Iowa, a top issue of concern for Republican voters is the future of immigration and border security.
2: Yeah, the border is a big issue.
0: Open border is not a good thing. More candidates speak about it frequently. The- in iowa at border security yeah the border is a big issue open border is not a good thing candidates speak about it frequently
2: the border is a disaster the worst border in history and offer solutions instead of catch and release we're going to go to catch and deport but some use terms that vilify
0: undocumented immigrants we have a program to transport illegal aliens to sanctuary jurisdictions nationwide americans are increasingly concerned about the situation at the u.s mexico border nearly half say it's a crisis. The issue is a long-standing concern for Republicans, but there's increased worry among Democrats and independents. The reality here is that Iowa's 3 million residents are overwhelmingly white and the state's strong economy needs immigrant labor. Iowans, especially here, would have a very difficult time having anything to eat at dinnertime without immigrants because immigrants are the
2: ones who process the meat, who uh, farm the fields, who uh, cook the food
0: <laughs> okay did you catch it did you catch it listen to this one more time use terms that vilify undocumented immigrants we have a program to transport illegal aliens to sanctuary jurisdictions you got that ed o'keefe on cbs news does a story about illegal immigration and the border crossings and he says Ed O'Keefe says this. But some use terms that vilify undocumented immigrants. Some use terms that vilify undocumented immigrants. And then what sound clip does he play? We have a program to transport illegal aliens to sanctuary jurisdictions. You got that? According to CBS News, if you use the phrase illegal immigrant, you are vilifying undocumented immigrants migrants, or you're just using the accurate term, illegal aliens. Wow. Bias much? Now, speaking of, um, the great way to push back against all this sort of nonsense is do business with those who share your values. That's why I do business with Old Glory Bank. They really are my bank. I really have a checking account with them. I really have a savings account with them. And you can, too. Eight minutes or less, you can get a bank um, account set up with Old Glory Bank. They're conservatives. They are pushing back on the trend of debanking uh, gun manufacturers, gun owners. If you're a gun store, for example, or a gun manufacturer, you need a business bank account, well, you can do business with Old Glory. They will get you set up. Uh, individuals you want to do business with those who share your values old glory shares your values oldglorybank.com i don't even have a personalized url with them i just want to send them business i'm so glad they're with me i love old glory bank they i I got a bank account set up with them when i heard they were coming out because i did not want to keep having to trust woke banks uh particularly with my business so old glory bank they're my bank you can have them as your bank oldglorybank.com they're so good they share your values great bank oldglorybank.com. Go start using them as your bank today. Greetings. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. It is an open line Friday. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, I I mentioned the CBS immigration thing. Listen to this from Jerry Nadler real quick. You know Jerry Nadler, the the Democrat from New York?
2: And we need immigrants in this country. Forget the fact that the Farm that our, our, our vegetables would rot in the ground if, it weren't, if they weren't being picked by many immigrants, many illegal immigrants. The fact is that the birth rate in this country is way below replacement level, which means our population is going to start shrinking. And the ratio of people on Social Security and Medicare is going to increase relative to the number of people supporting them.
0: Oh, you Democrats. A hundred years ago, it was cotton, and now it's vegetables. You always want some class of people to pick stuff for you. (laughs) Wow. If it weren't for the illegal immigrants, your vegetables wouldn't get picked. Now do cotton. Let's go to the phones, 877-973-7425. Marissa, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. How are you? Marissa? Yes. Welcome. How you are you? Me? Yes,
2: I'm good. Thanks. Um, okay, so I wanted to share with you that I'm actually from Aden, which is part of uh, now Yemen, but it wasn't already. Um, it wasn't always, and like you mentioned, it was. Um, uh, uh, it was separately a British uh, protectorate. It didn't. It was not part of North Yemen, and it wasn't part of South Yemen. And when uh, the Swiss Canal opened. Um, the first ships that went through were, um, were Russian ships. And um, you're bringing up a good point, which most people don't realize, that um, Aden was British, so we had British nationality. And then later on, uh, when the war began and Aden was becoming communist, we moved, um, part of my family moved to India. So I was raised in uh, two countries, that were British, and I've been here almost 40 years, but uh, people don't realize that the British really did do quite a bit of good in the countries that they quote-unquote occupied. Um, You know, some some barbaric (laughs) um, um, opportunities or um, policies that were in place, they actually uh, got rid of. So I'm glad that you brought that little uh, history into, uh, into your
0: uh, program today. Well, look, I, I appreciate that. And, yeah, the, the British didn't have clean hands, but it, it compared to the, Briti- or the Belgians, the Germans, and the French, uh, most of their colonies wound up better. I did get one thing wrong, though. I got them reversed, and I always do in my head, just looking at the map and thinking about it. It's South Yemen was communist, and it was North Yemen uh, that was democratic. Uh, South Yemen uh, became Marxist-Leninist, Uh, And actually was subsidized I totally forgot this until I looked it up in commercial break Uh, The Cubans uh, Were the chief sponsors So that the Soviets could plausibly deny That they had any role of it And then once the country was established The Soviets flooded in there Uh, But I got them reversed But thank you for sharing that You're you're absolutely right um, That people forget this history And the dynamics there So so, uh, the reason I I get them confused is uh, South Yemen is actually further north Than North Yemen (laughs) That's why I get them confused. Um, if you look at where the capitals are, um, North Yemen's capital is further north than South Yemen's capital, but actually the way the country's shape on the map, South Yemen winds up being further north, which is why I, always, I have always gotten them confused, but now they're one country. Um, after the collapse of um, the, the Soviet Union in uh, 1990, they essentially emerged. Uh, it um, it's it's actually, it's, it's, it's a huge geopolitical issue though, because they never did. I mean, you you had in South Yemen, this massive imposition of a Marxist-Leninist ideology, the, the Soviets, the North Koreans, the East Germans and Cubans flooded in there. In fact, it was a beach resort spot for communists along the Gulf of Aden. And uh, just a, a terrible, terrible, Situation there, but uh, they've merged and the Saudis have a vested interest in having a country on its southern border. So Saudi Arabia is on its southern border, has Oman to the east and Yemen to the due south. Oman kind of sweeps around. Oman is an ally. Yemen is completely destabilized. And so the Saudis have a vested interest in stabilizing it. And uh, the Iranians have tried to disrupt them. So big geopolitical stake there. Now, I want to move on. I will take your phone calls, 877-973-7425. I I, I want to actually talk to you about something. I, I wanted to mention it yesterday, and I didn't get a chance to. We ran out the clock on so much other stuff happening. But we need to talk about the young there's a lot of data out. For example, uh, Gallup, let me, let me actually pull this up. Uh, I just thought of this as, as we started. And my buddy Brad Wilcox sent this to me the other day. Where is Brad's message? Here it is. According to Gallup, Gallup has been surveying the political ideology of people for a very long time. Well, now I'm just pushing all sorts of buttons on my computer. Y'all, it's a Friday, and I'm glad we have a three-day weekend. Gallup has been surveying people for a very long time about their political ideologies, male and female, generationally. And you hear all the time that the younger you are, the more progressive you are, except the Gallup poll suggests otherwise. In particular, the number of the percentage of young men who identify as a Republican. In 2013, 38% of men aged 18 to 29 identified as Republican. In 2013, 38% of men 18 to 29 identified as Republican. Do you know what it is now? 49%. That's right. 49% of men, 18 to 29, 49%, about half of young men in America now identify themselves as Republicans. Now, you should know that includes leaners, so people who identify as conservative but not affiliated with party, they've been lumped in with the um with, with with Republicans so 49% of of independents who lean conservative and right and republican 49% of young men that's from gallup striking numbers 38% in 2013 by 2017 it was only 39 it was by 2020 44% 49% in 2023 correspondingly i don't think it's a coincidence The fall-off in men going to college, what we've seen in the last two decades, really in the last decade, is an increased hostility towards masculinity. And the the, the counterpoint here is is I follow a wide range of people on Twitter and, and the, the conservative gym bros have to be the most annoying demographic of people I follow. But it, it's the, it's, it's, they've embraced the whole idea of my body as a temple. And God bless them, they're in better shape than me, but they're obnoxious. And you're not really a man un, 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 unless you're going to the gym every day and, and trying to define what a man is. These, these people clearly have daddy issues themselves. But ultimately what it's about is the feminist movement and academia and the elite in this country have devalued what it means to be a man. Just just watch culturally. Watch on television. On television, the dad more often than not is the butt of jokes still. And there is a backlash against that uh, elite um, belittling of what it means to be a man. Relatedly to all of this, today is my friend Rush Limbaugh's 73rd birthday. Happy birthday, Rush. There's a story out uh, in the newspapers that while California is now planning on punishing parents who refuse to accept their child's gender identity. And California wants to embrace uh, genital mutilation of children who've decided they're going through a phase and decide that they're trans. California is also trying to get rid of, of tackle football for elementary schools. They want to ban tackle football and move it to flag football. Years ago on the radio, Rush Limbaugh predicted this. Rush predicted that by the time the left was was finished... The NFL would be a flag football game. We're headed in that direction, and part of it is this uh, wrapping our children in bubble wrap. Now you can't leave them outside. The idea of a feral child, my goodness! You, I mean, you know, all, all of us Gen Xers were left outside all day and had to had to drink from the hose, and now kids, you got to put them in bubble wrap and and put a, a GPS tracker around their ankle just to make sure they're okay. And, and God forbid they play tackle football. And there's a backlash happening culturally among young men. Young women, interestingly enough, are are, are more split. Men are more and more, I mean, 50-50, they're, they're becoming uh, conservative. But Rui D'Era has this piece out, the progressive youth, Shamira. Just how progressive are today's youth? It's fair to say that compared to older generations that generally lean more left on most issues are more likely to say they're liberal and more likely to support Democrat. But that's a relative assessment. It doesn't follow logically that the entire generation is progressive. This potential problem has been thrown into relief by recent poll findings that show the youth vote lagging considerably for Democrats. Some polls even show Biden behind Trump among voters under 30. Data from the split-ticket analysis site based on an average of December cross-tabular data shows Biden carrying the 18 to 29-year-olds by 11 points, a 12-point pro-Trump shift. What gives? Well, it turns out that kids aren't as progressive as people seem to say. The overwhelming majority identify as moderate to conservative, 65%. The level of self declared liberalism is higher than among other age groups, but it's not even close to majority sentiment. When given a list of political labels to choose from, only 22% say progressive. On immigration, 49% under 30 consider Biden more liberal than them on the issue. 46% consider Biden more liberal on the border. Most of the voters think the U.S. should take in fewer refugees and asylum seekers, and more think the U.S. should be stricter rather than looser in granting asylum. On trans issue, 48% of the voters, this is Gen Z, consider Biden more liberal than them. And by 10 points, under 30 voters oppose the idea that transgender individuals should be allowed to play on sports teams that do not match their birth gender. On crime, 40% think Biden is more liberal than them. On oil and gas exploration, 45% think they do. And that's that's the the plurality the left doesn't have a majority on, on any of these positions. If you listen to the press, they would have you believe that Gen Z is the most progressive group. And it turns out a majority of Gen Z is opposed to transgender issues, uh, a 45 percent of them support fossil fuel exploration. Forty nine percent of them want to seal the border. They're as conservative as you and me on these issues by and large. But you wouldn't know that from the left. And the reason is because the bubble in the media, they are coming up from this generation and they're progressive. And so they've decided everyone who looks like them must think like them, too. And it's not true. It's not true at all. For those of you who are freaked out about the future because you keep hearing that the kids these days are so progressive, actually the data shows that a majority of them consider themselves moderates and in fact, a majority of them are opposed to transgender rights and a majority of them wanna seal the border. Doesn't sound very progressive to me, but you're not hearing that in the media, are you? Because it's all about a narrative and the narrative is the young are getting more progressive and the data actually shows completely the opposite. Now, we need to move on. And before I move on to anything else, I need to tell you, are you worried about your uptime when it comes to technology? Are you worried about keeping your technology up to date? Vision Computer can help you. They can build you a laptop or a desktop, they can keep it up to date, they can work with you on what you want so it's very upgradable, so you're not constantly having to buy new technology. And then they can service it for you or your company. Now, let me focus on you, the small business owner, right now. We've talked about your kids are going to college. They can take care of you, too. But you, a small business owner, do you know how much it costs to have an in-house IT guy? You're talking like sixty to $80,000 minimum. Well, if you use Vision to buy your computers, build them for you, your laptops and your desktops, they'll become your IT department. So you're saving the salary of an in-house IT guy. And your employees get a phone number. They call Vision. 15 seconds or less, they get the answer of what to do with their computer. They don't know how to save something. They don't know how to move a file. They don't know how to open an app or install an app or or do email or printer setup. Vision will help them. So you've saved yourself the salary of an in-house IT guy. You've saved yourself money by buying your computers from Vision. You've saved your peace of mind. You've saved yourself on uptime for your computers. You've saved a lot by using Vision Computers, and they can help any business nationwide. All you have to do is go to visioncomputers.com. Or call them at 404Compute. If you're a small businessman, don't hodgepodge your computer systems together. Buy a unified system from Vision, laptops, desktops, whatever you need, and then let them service it. It's going to save you money. It's going to keep you online. It's going to keep you up to date, and it's going to give you peace of mind. VisionComputers.com or call them at 404Compute. If you call them at 404Compute and tell them Eric sent you, you'll get an even better deal. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. This is the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Lowell. Now, we, we've talked about where you might bank, we've talked about where you can buy your computers. Let's say you need access to capital and your bank, well, it's just not it's it's not working with you. The Frost family, since the early 90s, have been helping small businesses become big businesses. They make their own lending decisions, and they do deals like if you're buying a building or building a building or you're buying a franchise, those sorts of things, and you need $250,000 or more, First Liberty should be the first people you call. FirstLibertyGA.com. Get all their contact info there. FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you. Spend 10 minutes with them. See If you're a fit for them, and they're a fit for you. Great people, great company. FirstLibertyGA.com. All right, have you all heard that this is one of the most ridiculous stories of the day? In Canada, in Quebec, the police in Quebec are warning individuals that if they put up their video camera footage of thieves stealing packages off their front porch, they could be violating the privacy of the thieves. You cannot post images yourself because you have to remember in Canada, we have a presumption of innocence, according to the police in Quebec. Um, No, this is why the United States is the greatest country. Because in Canada, they do not have free speech. They claim to have free speech, but they don't. If they're telling you you get in trouble because you put up a picture of someone stealing a package off your front porch, that is not freedom. That is letting the thieves win. And it's probably why the liberal government there under Justin Trudeau, their popularity has cratered. Justin Trudeau is less popular than Kamala Harris at this point, which is saying something because Naval lint is more popular than Kamala Harris, as is syphilis. And Justin Trudeau is, is even less popular than her. It's remarkable what's happening in Canada, and uh, people are fed up with it. They're fed up with their rights being curtailed. They're fed up with inflation. They're fed up with the Canadian economy. They're fed up with Justin Trudeau. A backlash is coming from the voters in Canada, and in the next, I, I think, what, 12 months, they got to have an election constitutionally up there? Bad things are coming for Justin Trudeau, and that's so well-deserved. There Surely there's got to be a... Um, there's got to be a German word for taking pleasure in watching bad things happen to bad people. There's got to be like Schadenfreude but but it's it's you take pleasure in the bad things happening to bad people. There there's got to be a word for it. All right, when we come back, we got to move on. 96 hours until the Iowa caucuses. It's going to be snowing and record cold. All that global warming flooding into Iowa for the caucuses. How is it going to play out? Everybody has a piece of it. I've got some analysis for you.